This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. This is Matt Pegas. And this is episode, I think it's 69, Matt? Uh, uh, I think it might be is, 68. Is it 68? Uh, oh, it man. Are. Yeah. Uh, man, almost right, 69. Right, right. Almost. <laughs> if it's not 69, uh, you know. We wish it was, uh, but in any case, we are here with the one and only Adam Lear, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you on. He is the uh, host, co-host of System of Systems podcast, and the um, uh, director and uh, founder <laughs> of uh, Safety Propaganda, a media platform. And uh, indeed, a writer who has been published in Compact, The Quietus, and a number of other publications, and a general um, commentator on arts and culture and uh, a fiction writer. Welcome to the pod, Adam. Thank you so much uh, uh, for having me on the show. It's an honor. And um, one thing I have to add to my bio there uh, is also elite bodybuilder that that's something that go. the fans should know if they're listening and not watching right now i uh i can attest to this because we were all on video and uh you you are quite i even got Adam. the golds the golds fucking classic tank top on right yeah, no. now there we go i actually admit i didn't know that this was part of your resume until getting on and seeing that clearly it is oh yeah 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 i've kind of like well, you know, because Alex Beanstalk and I, we did a record this year. Yeah. Um, our band is called Botch Chattification, and it's a, a sort of conceptual, well, con- jokes, basically. They're jokes, oh. but songs about um, collapsed uh, or failures of male vanity and masculinity. And many of the songs are about plastic surgery. Uh, okay. anabolic enhancement and so forth and um i haven't had any plastic surgery but i've certainly used a fuckload of anabolics um and anyways i'm just interested i'm very interested in that kind of stuff we made an album length music video uh, oh, wow. directed by our friend and the artist bradford kessler Everyone should watch that because it single-handedly saved rock and roll this year. <laughs> and uh, I think it's currently at 26,000 views, but we could blow that up. So, you know, spread oh, yeah. the word. Check it out. 
Yeah. Uh, so were you uh, into bodybuilding before it became a uh, big craze? Or uh, yeah, I've uh, followed the sport since like, well, I watched like pumping iron when I was a kid and, you know, yeah. I, and like Arnold and that is just, that's like the, that's like the pinnacle of a cool person to me. Just like this hilarious fucking Austrian ultra charismatic eccentric weirdo, you know, I just loved him in that movie. Yeah. But yeah, I've always like I've always followed the sport. You know, I only follow two sports, UFC, MMA and and bodybuilding. Um I was a competitive athlete uh through high school, um track and cross country, so I was obviously a lot smaller then, but kept up with a pretty intense like calisthenics regimen and even when even in my worst drug addict days, I was still um pretty i used to like like shooting heroin and going for 10 mile runs yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's a real uh test of body against uh substance i suppose you'd think but like it actually kind of makes sense because you're just anesthetizing every ounce of oh, okay. your body Fair so enough. like your yeah. endurance goes through the roof but um and then in like my mid-20s i started lifting heavier weights and i got much bigger and then uh, COVID happened. I put on the COVID fucking soft 15 or whatever. And then came back with a band in, like started a year and a half ago and then jumped back on uh, like test and growth hormone and shit. Like last October, uh, I started the first cycle again last January gotcha. and okay. um, got fucking ginormous, like uh. really fast. Uh, yeah yeah it's, so it was uh, sick. i mean i used to lift back in high school a little bit and i mean i have um some joint injuries uh and so i don't really lift as much anymore just maintenance stuff but yeah. i've heard you know like the kind of crazy like gains that you can get when you're taking steroids and it just seems like out of this world like it's not just... like magic it's kind of magic it's kind of, but um, the training yeah. has to be perfect. The diet has to be perfect and it absolutely will help you push through different plateaus, but then you have to learn more about this shit, right? So like testosterone, for instance, or DECA, these drugs are fantastic for accumulating strength and lean muscle tissue, but they also make you carry shitloads of water. So okay. when summer comes around, you're going to want to move that out. And then take something to lean up, like whatever, clenbuterol. You also have to know how to come off steroids, which is the main thing that people don't know. They think mm. they can just stop taking it and it won't fuck them up. Mm. But mm. Um, what happens is after a cycle, two, three months, typically three months is as long as you'd want to go on a cycle. Mm. Um, all the excess testosterone your body no longer is producing it naturally because you're so yeah, juiced sure. up with it. So the body, once you stop giving it the synthetic testosterone, the hormones will kick into overdrive. And a lot of that testosterone will then aromatize into estrogen, which is what creates most of the health problems related to steroids, such as like extreme water retention, um, some nasty liver shit you don't want to think about. Uh, you can lose your gains 
put on yeah. fat. And then, of course, the worst and like most notable and immediate thing is yeah. getting gyno and like just having like a big set of milky titties. Yeah. Like so, in Fight Club. Uh, exactly. Exactly. That was like the, yeah, that's like an extreme case of gyno. Yeah. But uh, for most guys, it's just going to be like, like, you know, you know, the bodybuilder Ronnie Coleman. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, so Ronnie was, you know, he's like an eight-time Mr. Olympia. The guy's an absolute fucking legend. He's probably the strongest bodybuilder that ever lived. And he's a hilarious guy who is working as a full-time cop into his career as, like, the best bodybuilder in the world. So he had a big platform. But uh, his, like, best physique ever was in, I think, 2003. He was fucking monstrous on, like, a level that no one had ever seen before and just, like, shredded but his fucking gyno was so bad that he just looked like he had two like african fucking <laughs> like african fucking tribal nipples sticking oh, out into the ether but uh <laughs> which usually would get you docked for points but you know he was so good that i guess they just kind of overlooked it i see yeah wow is uh I'm not, i don't mean to linger on uh bodybuilding too much <laughs> i know it's just fascinating about, it is kind of fun to get but, into no, it's yeah the um so like the kind of like the hat trick the like the impossible thing to do they say naturally is to um put on muscle and lose fat at the same time without steroids Absolutely. can that be done but, i mean it probably can be but your genetics have to be so superior that it's like let's say 99% chance that it's not going to happen. Even putting on muscle uh, while you're in a calorie deficit on steroids is going to be hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, the best bodybuilders in the world, when they're dieting for a show, they are going to be losing. They're losing all their fat, but they're also going to lose some of that muscle tissue too. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's the trade-off. There are some like absolute fucking freaks like I know Phil Heath would was able to still put on muscle. Phil Heath, he was like Mr. Olympia from 2010 to 2017 or something. But okay. if he put on muscle when he was only eating 1500 calories a day, he'd still be putting on mass. Oh wow, that's incredible. I mean, especially yeah. if you're a big guy. Yeah. Like, but that's just like this guy's like a, you know, these are like superior. These are like gifted exactly. fucking people. Yeah. You know, nine ninety nine guys out of a hundred can take the exact same fucking drugs, eat the same shit, and train the same, and come myself included, and come nowhere near what those guys achieve. Um, because at that level, it is going to be mostly genetic. Yeah. Same thing as any sport, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um. Yeah. The battle Dude, between wanna... nature and nurture. It's uh that's something we talk about a lot. And nature, uh, nature won that one, it seems. Yeah. Genetics are a motherfucker, you know. Well, yeah. you were saying, Matt. Yeah, going off the outline here, but I I think it's yeah. probably okay. Adam, I'm curious, like, if you could comment on the you're you're an artist and a writer, you know, the these creative pursuits and like life of the mind pursuits, but also a bodybuilder as we've been talking about. So I was curious if you could comment on the kind of relationship between the two things. Uh, you could even make it a, if you want like a you know personal history question. How did you as an athletic teenager end up going to school for theory? I believe it was you were studying philosophy. And so, no, 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 no. I, I initially went to school for photojournalism and then okay. went, uh, got a master's in art history at NYU. Oh, master's in art history. Okay. Yeah. 
nevertheless, yeah, just generally commenting on um, the relationship between those thing, two things. Obviously, a lot of bodybuilders aren't writing or do, making art, and a lot of uh, are uh, obviously to, to look at any you know hip cafe or whatever you can tell most artists writerly types are not bodybuilding so yeah it's important to you to, to kind of bring out both things well i think there's a uh, multiple ways to answer this question the simplest answer is i think it's good to have a lot of interest you know i've never yeah. been a, a specialist i'm more of a generalist and um when i get interested in something i basically just absorb the entire history of it yeah you know that 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 includes Viennese actionism. That includes surrealist theater. That includes bodybuilding. That includes mixed martial arts. Yeah, whatever. Um, but the other thing is, is like I don't see that much incompatibility between this kind of sports that I follow and um and like art, the arts right yeah no i like, definitely don't think it's in, incompatible yeah. you don't see it as much as perhaps we should <laughs> right right yeah. you know because what, what was always cool to me like watching uh the bodybuilding videos or like or someone like conor mcgregor or, you know is like they are weirdos you know these are eccentric fucking people following something that is going to be alienating to the vast majority of people you know bodybuilding has a lot it's like two things it's either guys who like it's a lot of like failed athletes right it's like guys who didn't make it in football didn't make it in hockey fighting whatever um and then it's guys who maybe never played any sports but just like got picked on and smoked weed in their garage and started lifting yeah. weights so they could like you know be a bit more imposing so i always liked the um there's a, I'm actually, I have this novel concept that I'm tying this all together in. It's going to be a horror novel set in professional bodybuilding, but, uh, oh, nice. Yeah. 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 It'll be like, I have to write one book and then it'll be like the next thing I do after that. But, uh, I, I, there's an inherent pointlessness to bodybuilding. Right. And there's like a homosociality to it that makes it kind of funny and strange. Because at yeah. the end of the day, these guys are fucking killing themselves, literally often, right? Yeah. Like three fucking bodybuilders died this year before they were 50. Mm. Um, For a sport that at the most they could possibly make is like between endorsements. And if they're like winning top shows, the most these guys could make is like a mil a year, a couple mil a year. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like. There are fucking bums in the MLB with like 195 batting averages that are collecting 15 million, you know? Yeah. So it's like, why do this? Why fucking do this? And it, it has to just be this kind of like um, desire to be seen, but also like this sort of performative sentiment. Because at the end of the day, all that work is just going into the 15 minutes when you're out there fucking doing the lat spreads and the front double biceps for um, a crowd of men. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, it's hilarious. And, um, and I, and the, you know, the UFC too, I, I think is a great, it's a very creative sport because, you know, the, the, the best guys can't just be the best uh, at winning. They have to win over the fans too. Like, do you guys follow UFC at all? A little Not bit, really. yeah. But 
but I'm, I mean, I, I took uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu in oh, college. It's a club thing. So, yeah. I'm, sick. Uh, yeah, I did a little jiu-jitsu back in the day myself, but I haven't trained much fighting otherwise. Um, but last week, for example, you know, there was a, a humongous fucking upset. The biggest. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I made three grand on a $300 bet. Wow. Because I, I uh, you know, did due diligence and voted for the um, hilarious white guy over the seething, coping, yeah. Zoomer baiting black man. And, uh, but yeah, so like Izzy, you know, lost a belt, undeniably elite fighter. Three years defended the belt, beat basically everybody great in the fucking division. And still, fans absolutely fucking despise this guy because he has a really, really, uh, he seems like deeply uncomfortable with himself. He doesn't say anything that's like interesting or provocative. He signals yeah. corny shit. Whereas, you know, Connor McGregor, that dude hasn't really been like his prime for years now and yet he's still fucking if he did a ufc pay-per-view on saturday it would likely make five billion dollars and be the most watched sporting event of the year and that's not just because of how great he was it's because he was fucking hilarious provocative You, you just like loved this guy and the people who didn't love him hated him in a way that was also interesting because like there was something so unique about a guy going to like legends of the sport, having no respect for them, knocking them out in the first fucking 10 seconds of a fight. I remember that one thing he said, it was absolutely genius where he, when he was about to fight Jose Aldo and um, you know, he's just off the cuff riffing and he goes, if this was a different time, then I would ride into your stinky favela on horseback <laughs> and I'd kill every man who could not work. But since <laughs> but since uh, it is this time, I will kill you in the ring on Sunday. And I was just like, you know, he kind of got me into it. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's different ways for this shit to manifest itself. And um, some people are great at one thing. Some people are great at another. But I feel a lot of affinity with a lot of these athletes. I feel like they're one of us in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's something that like, obviously BAP has turned a lot of people onto how relevant bodybuilding can be. Um, I don't know, growing up, I just viewed it as very much like another sort of like meathead type sport, which obviously it de- almost definitionally is, but yeah. I think you're right. I think it's a really eccentric sport, kind of like wrestling is in a way to, you know, it's not, I mean, it's, it's obviously Chad in a certain sense. Right. But it's, uh, it, it's, uh, I don't even want to get into these stupid meme archetypes, whatever, but it's, it, yeah, it's like a more out, it's an outsider sport. No doubt about that. Yeah. And along with that, um, obviously, you know, the, I don't even probably really need to list the number of writers and artists who have had interest in bodybuilding or adjacent things. The obvious examples, Mishima, uh, BAP's a modern example. We've been talking about it the last Hemingway in boxing. Hemingway with boxing. Uh, Harry Cruz, if you're familiar with the Southern writer. We've been of talking- course. Yeah. Yeah. He was into all kinds of weird martial arts and, and just, just a general like body obsession um, runs through with a lot of eccentric artist types and, and, and bodybuilding is, is, is that manifest. Um, Bronze Klein was a 
was a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, Franz I mean, there's... yeah, he. Yeah, the abstract, something. the abstract painter. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Just making sure. I was gonna say painter, but just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's definitely something to be said about it being a you know an artistic temperament that makes you you know pursue something that you know is not going to be remunerative, like you say. You just you know why why do you do it right? And if you're doing it because you are you want to achieve something that shows people something i mean that's like that's being an artist i'm obsessed with just i'm obsessed with obsessiveness you know yeah Yeah. um i definitely have it but i think anyone who is willing to risk so much just for this sort of almost ephemeral goal but it feels real to them is uh is amazing to me um and uh you know being able to focus on something bring it to fruition ruthlessly pursue it if everybody had this kind of mentality the world wouldn't be as much of a steaming pile of shit as it is um the 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 biggest fucking issue in the entire world is inability to commit that is the spiritual malaise of millennials of zoomers even of fucking gen xers to a large degree they cannot fucking commit to a dream a path a vision a fucking wife whatever uh it's it's and with that sort of you need that as a human being. You need that binding essence of something to strive towards. Uh, it's it's almost like a cliche or an inanity to say these things because this is the kind of shit that our like elementary school teachers would have told us. But they were right. And somewhere along yes. the line, people forgot about these sort of elemental truths about being a human. I, I completely agree. Like it's it, it, it these these are things that do hit some as platitudes, but like I think that you're right that like people don't people know that these things in theory are good. Committing, um, you know, positive thinking, um, dreaming big and pursuing it ruthlessly. Like people know this, but they don't actually do it. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently as well. Um, you know, I'm super into like. I know you're, you're friends with like, uh, I mean, you're part of the whole NPC fest crowd, like my friend, you know, you, you know, like meme analysis and some of these other folks and the kind of, uh, anyway, what I'm trying to say is I'm into the sort of some of the, some of the occult topics and a lot of that stuff boils down to just affirmative, positive thinking. And like this stuff that sounds like Oprah, which book are we looking at here? You're showing to the camera. Austin Osman Spare. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I don't even know that much about Spare, but I know he did work with sigils and like all there's for for as like mystical as occult stuff gets, most of it boils down to um clarifying your will and um, you know, going for it in your you know, mentally first, but like, you know, pursuing it ruthlessly. It's all yeah. it is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so many men today are just afraid man people are afraid to stick up for themselves people are afraid to get in a fight um i hate to just go on and on about the cucking of men but it is a huge fucking thing i mean for years we just let women 
make up rapes, make up rape stories about us mm. and would freak out and apologize even if we were innocent, you know, yeah. I think. Um, and when you act like that, people don't respect you. And why would they? There's nothing to respect about someone who can't even uh, defend themselves or what they believe in. Um, hiding, hiding what you think. All these things are connected. Uh, shit, I was like this for a long time. It wasn't until, God, like 2015 that I actually started just uh, presenting who I actually was to, um, or at least a persona based on who I am uh to the public but um and even and then it was just because i really didn't have any other choice at that point mm. uh but yeah it's like it's really even a lot of this shit is completely fake too like i think people think if um whatever they're outed as this then their life will go haywire in these ways but it it usually doesn't you'll probably lose a few friends yeah. but how many how many people are actually worth keeping around if they can't even uh, look you in the eye to see who you really Absolutely. are? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but I have to jump in because this is reminding me of your article about Hunter Biden and Hunter <laughs> Biden as an artist and how he um, you theorized and I think you're right here found a sense of uh, wanted to be discovered. He, you know, took this laptop and he, he, you know, must have known on some level that, you know, he's Hunter Biden. This will be seen. This will be, um, you know, discovered. And how freeing in some sense that must have been. And so as I'm reading this article, I'm thinking, okay, so Hunter Biden, this guy is, he's an Anon. <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, yeah. He's like us in, in some respects. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, why why don't we get into that article a little bit and uh, how uh, Hunter Biden has the artistic temperament? Yeah, I mean, I had really, uh, I kind of, I mean, besides its political ramifications, I didn't have much interest in Hunter. And uh, the project was sort of, I got contacted um, like last March by... Um, someone who actually used to teach me, but is starting a publishing company. And if I said the name, people would know who it was. But um, and he, I had just finished a novel, so like the last thing I wanted to fucking do was write another book. I was like working on music, and I just thought I'd like you know do some other weird projects for a while to keep me busy. But then he off he brings up this Hunter Biden book, this angle that he wanted to write himself, but he didn't think he was like the right person for. And then I was like, Oh, I don't know. And then he told me what I'd be making. And I'd be like, I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> there you go. But um, yeah. So I've just had to sh like research through his laptop, like a shitload. And yeah. I don't know. It, uh, it made me see him differently. Uh, there's a lot of things to relate to about him. Um, he's not completely unintelligent, even if he's not super bright. But I mean, the same thing could be said about me or like the vast majority of people. Um, he has in a lot of his text messages, there's sort of this quality where he's often reaching out to people. 
to see if they'll actually talk to him. And then they just bring up something about his dad or something about politics, even his prostitutes. He's often trying to engage them um, on an intrapersonal level. And um, I started to feel something resembling more empathy towards him. Then I found out this uh, story from a source that when Hunter and Bo were like 10 and eight respectively uh him and his brother Mm -hmm. their mother their birth mother had just died oh yeah they were mourning over her corpse and um joe brought in a little media circle to photograph the kids while they were you know mourning the death of their mother i found that to be a very rich like uh rosebud moment yeah you know the the things uh, the metaphor for his entire malaise you know he he probably does have this pining for freedom but what the fuck is he gonna do like you're you're a biden you're gonna be doing something and if you're not and if you're too shady and fucked up to like work at the white house you're probably gonna be the one (laughs) being paid millions to do overseas fucking deals with ukrainians and chinks and whatever the fuck yeah but um yeah I, and then i saw that story that you know of course they were using his paintings to basically launder campaign finance money yeah <laughs> uh, which is like what we all knew was gonna happen right so and then i thought it was very funny because like the paintings are so horrible we know who's anyone who's buying them is they have an ulterior motive but I thought if they showed his photographs, his iPhone portraiture and self-portraiture, that would be an easier case to make, that there was a legitimate artistic idea in these images. Because let's face it, all of us have stared at those images in awe and shock for a long period of time. They have some interesting formal elements. There's this dash snowish quality where he's like constantly just fucking hanging cock all over the place even though (laughs) you know this guy is like a skinny fat drug addict and he just can't stop himself from like photographing his dick naked there's just something there and um I don't know if it makes you think that he specifically has many layers or more layers than we thought I think it just reminds you that all human beings usually have more layers than we you know consciously give anybody credit for yeah i mean what struck me as i'm reading that was the extent to which uh social media and um you know having cameras in our phones has to some extent awakened the artistic temperament in all of us and so suddenly you're thinking or maybe not the artistic temperament but I, I remember on, I don't know if you follow the good old boys, but they had a podcast with um, a, I don't remember the professor's name, but he's a German professor who was talking about a concept called profilicity. And he just coined that and he describes it as the modern kind of temperament where we see ourselves in the third person and uh, kind of uh, think about how to, how to market ourselves and how um how to you know build a kind of like 
marketing campaign around oneself. And that um, strikes me as, you know, not only something that Hunter Biden, you know, maybe had, you know, a bit of in himself, but yeah, all of us, like you, you know, like especially like frankly myself having like, you know, started a Twitter account, which has grown to like a medium level of popularity I'm just like suddenly like walking around. I'm like, oh, that would make a good picture with a funny caption. And that would, and in a way that's not really myself exactly. I'm, you know, talking about other things, but it is still filtered through it. Like, well, this is the persona I'm using. This is well, the- absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, I very consciously use a persona, you know, partly because like, partly it's like self-protection. Um because how yeah. I am at home with my wife is, you know, how is, you know, I'm not going to be yeah. rifling off slurs and, <laughs> yeah. you know, spewing some avant-garde hate mongering, you know, just when I'm at home eating dinner. But it's uh, it's good to express that side of myself anyways. But um, I think what's interesting with Hunter, though, because because you're right, like, you know, I uh, studied photography and that was initially what I wanted to do mm. is um, but like, you know, five or six years ago, I just couldn't. It's so hard to justify fine art photography when we're so flooded with images to begin with. Yeah. But what's so unique about hunters is that these photos weren't, you know, being posted. So, right. you know, like he at least consciously was, you know, holding on to these pictures, even if there was the Freudian element of like, God, I want to get caught. Please let me out of this life, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's almost like we're seeing, you know, it's like, it's like, a, are you familiar with uh, the Vivian girls, not the band, the, the manuscript? I am not. No. no. Okay. So the Vivian girls, uh okay this is like a fucking thing so i can prepare too all right so the vivian girls is a um a sixteen thousand page manuscript that wow. was located uh after the suicide of a chicago janitor by the name of henry darger um, no one knew that this guy was an artist. He was just a lonely janitor. Most of the doctors said they didn't even remember who he was when asked about his death. And he created this sprawling uh, set of drawings and stories of internet connected tales all about these girls, the Vivian girls. There's some dark shit in there. They're kidnapped. They're raped. Then they overcome. And then they become yeah. these like powerful murderers, whatever. It's a fucking insanely visionary piece of work that was never, ever, ever meant to be seen by anybody. This guy was just venting. And yeah. um, that element of, uh, of, of outsider art or art brood or whatever the fuck we want to call it is... Um, super interesting to me because i don't have that i don't have that sigma aspect you know i need to be i'm like so uh self-obsessed that like if i do something i just have to put it out there immediately just to see what people say about it 
Yeah. But there are, you know, these more true, like these, like these pure artistic spirits who truly do just do the work uh, to fulfill some personal purpose. Henry Darger. And I'm not going to put fucking, <laughs> I'm not going to put Hunter Biden on Henry Darger's level. I mean, those drawings are selling for like a million a piece now, but um, it is interesting that he did create this like huge archive of sort of like mesmerizing, dirty, very self-destructive images yeah. just, just to document it for himself, you know, as a record, it's almost like he's keeping, it's almost like he's keeping a record of his personal life to remind himself that he actually has one, you know, because yeah. uh, in politics, you don't really exist. Um, you're an image. You're like a projected uh bite of information that is uh solely created by the media it's like you know certain people are like powerful enough to sort of transgress these limitations i.e donald trump probably the only one of our lifetime but i think that has to be suffocating in a way that guys like us probably can't really even begin to wrap our heads around it um and Hunter didn't have a choice. That was the life he was fucking born into. So I think I think that does give his work all these sort of contradictory qualities, these dualities that um, it's almost like watching something like 90 Day Fiance, where it's like a trash reality show. But if you watch it on ketamine, you realize that show says everything about the world that we live uh-huh. in right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it sort of has that quality to it. No, definitely. I mean, uh, that's one one thing your article kind of turned me on to. Like, I never really thought about why Hunter Biden took these pictures. And I think you're completely right that it is some like, yeah, I don't know. I guess you'd call it an artistic impulse, but whatever it is, it's certainly a, a deep seated impulse that he just probably followed without thinking much about Um you know, I don't think he I think there is that Freudian thing you mentioned of, you know, maybe on some level he wanted, you know, to to exhibit this stuff. But I, I it just it's it, that's what's kind of shocking. Part of what's shocking about the pictures is they seem so casual. This is just, you know, what it's like to be him. <laughs> yeah, I actually know uh, one of the one of the call girls. Her, really? Um, yeah. Uh, the, she's weed slut 420 in the documents, but she actually hangs out at all the art openings here in New York. So I'll have to interview her for this book, but the family's getting insanely litigious these days. So the interviews have been kind of harder to come by than they maybe would have a year ago. Really? You've had people who've had to turn you down for interviews. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like impossible to get in touch uh, with the guy who found it, you know, who Hunter retardedly handed the whole laptop over to repair I'm like, bro, why the fuck would you give it to like a why wouldn't you just go to the Apple store where they have like contracts? They can't actually go through your shit. Um, anyways, that's what that's, I wonder if there was was part of him who wanted it. Wanted yeah, it yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. like most criminal psychologists would say that there was like. A desire for him to be caught, you know? Yeah, no, no, it's it's crazy. And I, I've had yeah, I've heard obviously you're in the New York 
area. I know a lot of people like who are kind of involved in the greater art scene there say, you know, they, they uh, knew people who knew Hunter, like he was this known quantity when all this was going on. Uh, yeah. It's just like one of those guys you would hear like, Oh, she fucked him, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, like, exactly. like he <laughs> yeah. collected art sometimes and, and he liked to be part of it. You know, he liked to rub elbows with it and, and fuck the ladies there, you know, uh, yeah. more power to him, I suppose. Yeah. Um, this question may not be the most articulate um, because I'm I'm somewhat new to your work, I'll admit. But but in reading up on, I know you work a lot with Alex Beanstalk, and I'm also kind of new to Alex Beanstalk's work. But I know he, you know, he's a very um, contemporary, like internet internet age type of artist. Where he, you know, I, I think he's been described as kind of collecting bits of digital ephemera. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, these somewhat pretentious sounding words, but but that's kind of my impression of, of his work as he's trying to, you know, frame stuff that you know wouldn't immediately come to mind as like fine Oops. art. As a new, you know, he, he's a very innovative thinker, you know, the whole finance punk coinage, um, you know, framing these things that this, these bits of digital ephemera that wouldn't necessarily be thought of as fine art, reframing them as such. Uh, and I guess what I'm trying to ask, and I gather you, you know, that's you're on that wavelength as well. And I, I mean, do you draw a connection between that sort of consciously artistic mindset and the the kind of thing that Hunter Biden was doing, you know, just throwing pictures on a laptop? Um, is there something to this, the, the casualness of our digital, digital lives that, you know, you, you would, would you draw that comparison or am I kind of connecting two unrelated things in your, in your realm? <laughs> well, I mean, Beanstalk and I are both, uh, sort of like, we were kind of like proper art world people that were pushed out. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, it was only five years ago. He was getting in big shows and I was doing a couple shows, but just because of, um, like our unfiltered nature it was never gonna pan out but yeah yeah he's like one of my best friends we have a band together uh we're very different in a lot of ways but we make each other laugh yeah um as far as like hunter biden's connection to that i mean i'm a i'm a firm you know i i you know i fuck with duchamp you know i think you know like I'm constantly interested in anything that can sort of, you know, Duchamp's the Duchamp's like a good, the primary example. You put a yeah, fucking toilet seat in the gallery and people say, why the fuck did you do this? This isn't art. <laughs> and then the very art gesture itself becomes that antagonism in the discourse. And this can happen in a variety of ways. Um, anything that can sort of rupture the spectacle, right? It can happen in video games. It can happen in cinema. Um, One thing I think I always try to clarify is that safety propaganda is like a, it's a postmodern art project to a large degree. But to me, I'm much more interested in postmodernism as a concept for like when pop culture, when works of mass media subvert the limitations of their own form. Mm-hmm. and uh, are in are embedded with some avant-gardist sentiment um much more than i am sort of proper postmodern art which is just like artworks that are influenced by the mass culture uh and i think on that level i mean hunter biden is probably like 
one of uh, along with like Donald Trump and Kanye West and you know probably one of the most important art figures of our time just because yeah. his name begets a certain sort of massive reactions you know whether it's just like fuck that guy he's a fucking degenerate scumbag lying fucking criminal which is true or he's just a sad lost boy who you know needs more love or whatever which is also true but whatever um these and and this is the language of our day you know we're always trying to decide like is what's the art form of now and people just don't like the answer because it's kind of you know depressing it's not cinema it's certainly not literature it's not even really video games, even though for a while it seemed like that might be the thing. Discourse itself, uh, internet discourse, is the, the artistic language of now. Yeah, reverberations of information and conversation bouncing back and forth one by one. It's what we're all mired in. That's the things. Those are the unifying events. You know, in the 90s, um, our parents went to see Pulp Fiction and then at every fucking dinner party for a year, did you see Pulp Fiction? Holy shit. The fucking gimp Zed. Holy, yeah, yeah. holy fuck. Amazing. Now we go to parties and people are like, did you see what, whatever fucking retard online said yeah, to that yeah. person? And then all the comments and like, that is what yeah, um, no, that's, that's, that's our that's world a really is. good point. It's yeah. like, uh, did you know you uh, hear that? Uh, how often do men think about the Roman Empire? Yes, something like that, which is just yeah. like perfect. I mean, like I'm I'm talking about it with my girlfriend. It's going on online and everything, and it's just like it's you know these questions, these you know selected bits of discourse are actually pop culture now, which is crazy, but. Uh, in some ways, and it was kind of like always that way, I feel, because yeah. like I think back to like middle school, I think we're about the same age. So when I was in middle school, The Simpsons was really popular. And I remember sitting around the lunch table and maybe it's a male thing. I don't know. But like guys would quote The Simpsons to each other. Absolutely. And we would, yeah, South we would Park. try to South Park. Yeah. And it's just like those selected bits of discourse just really they resonate and you just repeat them and it carries and now it's like kind of the culture has been stripped of the rest of the show the show doesn't well, exist there's no more no more simpsons there's well, only think the about it like this right i think a great um you know people called the oppenheimer barbie thing yep. uh they're idealistically calling it the return of cinema yeah but what was really rupturing everything was the meme of those two movies yeah. as a tandem joint meme. I yeah. saw them both, uh, but that's the thing that's going to be remembered. And that's the thing that kind of made it linger, you know, usually, I mean, there's been like Absolutely. amazing films that have come out over the last few years. Right. But like, it seems like, like, like for instance, um, when I saw Bo is Afraid earlier this year, yeah, I I loved Hereditary. I hated Midsummer, so I was going in with sort of like, how will I feel about it? Feelings, mm -hmm. uh, and I was fucking blown away. Like I couldn't believe 
that this um this guy his third movie is this three hour visionary psycho horror um about misogyny like that you know i was thrilled by it like this guy's actually on a big stage uh dealing with a male sort of anxiety over and contempt for women i.e the mother whatever right uh i was sure that it was gonna have um I, i was sure that it was going to be discussed for a while positively and negatively and surely it was discussed positively and negatively, but for like four fucking days. It yeah. was like three weeks later, the film was already streaming on Apple TV. I'm like, right. what the fuck? And yeah. very, discussed for a short period of time and by very few people. I still know people who um, haven't seen that movie yet, despite being interested in Ari Aster, because they missed it in theaters. It's kind of a time commitment, three hours. And then um, I think to stream it, it was like 20 bucks for a while. So it, it bombed for A24. It's really a tragedy. I liked it a lot as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's sad. You know, Ari Aster was given this chance to make a grand artistic statement. I think he succeeded uh, largely. Like, I, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but, I, but I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, it, 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 it um, made absolutely no impression. It wasn't a meme, certainly, in the way that Barbara yeah. Yeah, I'm it, one of those it, it, guys because, like, I, you know, I saw both of the first two movies. I, I did want to see this, but I missed it in theaters because I just found out about it actually from you, Matt, too late. And uh, I, I saw it's on, you know, on Amazon for twenty dollars. I'm like, fuck that. $20. I think it's still, it's still be that expensive too. <laughs> yeah, so, it, it, it probably gets point. its rental date like in a pretty soonish. I probably it must be. I mean, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like shocking the the extent to which just things come and go. Um for for better or for worse, you know, it's just uh we live in such a rapid world that the only thing that can actually keep up with the pace is the internet. I mean, the internet defines the pace and it sets the pace and it's what keeps us up to pace. So it's hard to um it's hard and and you know certain mediums are better suited to it than others so yeah unfortunately i would say that uh yeah social media is the language of now and and basically has been for a very long time yeah yeah i was listening to i think it was uh, your pod adam with um kazemi and it was possibly our pod with Kazemi. I forget. It was a pod with Kazemi. Kazemi's been on a lot. And he said something to the effect of um, people live in different social media. So there's people in like the Twitter world, people in the Instagram world, people in the, well, I, I God, I hope there aren't people in the LinkedIn world. But, you know, it's, um, there are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like, fracturing our reality along these uh, along these user interface lines which is crazy you know uh and he he is right about that um but i think one thing alex discards is how absolutely fucking bigger this shit is than we actually think you know i get letters i get fan letters from people in fucking burma like you know, I'm like, how the fuck do you have the internet, let alone know how did how did you follow me? Like it does reverberate very, very far. 
And what's so scary to think is probably some of the most famous artists of the 20th century. I hate thinking about this because it's fucking terrifying. Like, like if you didn't follow contemporary art in the 50s, you probably wouldn't know who Otto Mule was. The vast majority of the public, except for sophisticated bourgeois people, would have no fucking clue about that shit. Us, however our names are probably known by fucking thousands of people that we have no idea about just because of how accessible it all is. And like my dad, like after uh, the Alex, um, the Jordan Neely, Daniel Penny thing happened. Right. Yeah. I was fucking pissed about that shit because I live in New York. I've been in those situations. And I know for a fact that everyone on that train was ecstatic and and relieved that that oh, yeah. kid stepped forth to help him, to help them. Absolutely. You know, my wife, my wife's been attacked on the subway. Like, it's a fucking nightmare these days. Yeah. So I um, I couldn't keep my mouth shut on that one. And I wrote a long thread about all this shit. And it was the first time I've gotten, like, all the craziest leftists just like quote tweeting and saying heinous shit about me for days. Yeah. My friend, uh, Raph who owns a gallery called 99 canal said, um, <laughs> there were four protesters outside. <laughs> there were protesters outside his gallery because he's, uh, he's platformed me there a couple times. <laughs> but beyond that, crazy. I figure at the very least, at least this is just, it's just all happening on like such a micro scale. Who gives a shit? Two days later, my dad calls me and he goes, Adam, what the fuck is everybody saying about you? This isn't right. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? He goes, my friend, my old friend from work just sent me this thing on Twitter where people are talking about what a fucking asshole you are. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Your coworker from work somehow stumbled upon this and was like, oh, that name sounds familiar. Oh, wait, it's my old boss's kid. Like, it's huge, you know? So it's simultaneously fractured, but omnipotent. It's, um, I feel like, you know, with all the, one thing that sucks is like philosophy is just so dead now, you know, because philosophy can't really keep up with this. Like, it's going to take, it's going to take decades to really understand what it was like to live in 2023, 2022, mm-hmm. 2015 and forth. Yeah. Cause like this insanely fascinating thing happened after 2015, where it felt like, like I still feel like we're in 2015. It's eight fucking years ago. And I feel like that was, it's just been one perpetual, perpetual line. And that's, yeah bizarre because so much shit has happened in my personal life i fell in love i got married i had a dog she passed away uh my stepdad passed away all of these life events happen and yet i can't shake the feeling that history is just not even moving at all and yet moving so rapidly that i can't that i can't see it um and I just don't think there's actually language to describe the feeling that we all have now. And it sounds like, I don't mean to, it sounds almost arrogant to be like, oh, this time is so much more. Because certainly 
uh, living through the bubonic fucking plague or the fall of Rome or yeah, or the civil rights movement or whatever, all had their hecticness and pain and terror. But that's not quite what we're dealing with. Uh because everything's sort of muted, you know, like we had yeah. our alleged catastrophic event, COVID, and it was complete fucking yeah. horseshit. Just another event to propagandize and make money on. Um, yeah, that's a real, that's one thing that I reflect on sometimes is like, the, I, I agree. It's kind of felt like a straight line since 2015. And there's been these attempts sort of by, I don't know, the media, or maybe it's more, un- I'm not even conspiratorial. It's a more unconscious collective instinct. Uh, so like this is the thing this is the catastrophe you know how many times has it been like world war three is just around the corner whether it was some iran stuff during the trump administration or now obviously russia ukraine is kind of another example of this and covid is the best Most example definitely it's like yeah. supposed to be this calamity and covid was it you know irrevocably changed things but nevertheless it still was um an extraordinary moment of anti-climax and things really yeah you know, back to being they're kind of the same things went back to being the same in all the wrong ways and they're like different in all the wrong ways you know what i mean like there is change but it is that it's like this inscrutable thing that's almost hard to quantify Um, yeah yeah like certainly i think the biggest thing is a lot of people lost their fucking minds but that was just an acceleration of a thing that was already happening i think i i often think this like like clearly there was a conspiracy happening. It was like, I mean, the, the second I realized COVID might be bullshit or was bullshit is when they said that uh, racism is the real pandemic. So go burn, yeah, go burn the city down, go burn it down. Cause uh, poor George Floyd. Um, And I was like, but I thought this thing's like a fucking, yeah. it just makes your head explode. So, but even before that, you know, because I, I was living in I was still living in Washington Heights. I'm in Queens now, but I was on 176th Street and I lived eight blocks from the Columbia Hospital. And a uh, wife and I would take the dog out for walks every single day. The fucking masks on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I would be like, let's walk by the hospital. I want to see if there's really this. Uh, I, I want to see if there's like dead bodies. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. And I'd go back there and it looked, you know, business as usual, if not a little quieter than usual. So, um, but most people aren't like involved. They're not like conspirators. I think some, you know, we're all just programmed by the media that by, that we're programmed by. So, um, and a lot of people are so fucking bored, right? I think that is part of it. Like this event kind of gave their life meaning. It was something to rally against, a a, a threat, you know? It's like, it was like a new Cold War or something. Like, oh, God, it's scary. We got to, we got to stick together and stay in our houses. And and then, and then once you uh, justify madness by saying it's uh, some sense of moral self-righteousness, then it just gets so fucking out of hand. Absolutely. uh, you know, like my mother-in-law, God bless her. She has some good instincts, you know, like, but uh, we would be talking about COVID and she was like, should I get the booster? And I'd be like, no, don't fucking get it. It's just going to fuck you up. And she's like, um, 
yeah, but I don't want to spread COVID. I live, I live with uh, my mother and I'd be like, it doesn't stop the spread anyway. She goes, Oh wait, that's right. And I'd be like, Oh, I got through to her. And then the next morning she's like, do you think I should get the booster? (laughs) Fucking do the whole thing over again. You can't undo that kind of programming. It was just like too fucking good and too constant, you know? Um, And people are pussies, you know? I think like you get a little bit of fear, get a little bit of moral self-righteousness. Um, you you align it with politics, you know? Yeah. And then crucially, have, yeah. you give people freebies, right? So you uh, like you let everyone, most everyone stay home. And, you know, like, I'm not going to lie that that was fucking awesome. Oh, That's man. like, so, good. you know, so yep. like, I mean, if you tie your like, you know, kind of political movement to, okay, you know, regardless of how you feel about um, various hot button political issues, we're the party that's going to let you stay home. (laughs) That's a good position to be in, actually. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, but it's not a good position. So, like, they kind of, like, targeted the kulaks, the small business owners, with surgical precision, because, you know, the people, the few people who actually, they needed to go to work to make money, they're the people who weren't going to vote for the Democrats anyways, because the Democrats take their money. The Democrats tell them how to run their businesses. And if you have a small business, you really don't want people trying to tell you how to run your business. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just something where they managed to like. Yeah, the Democrats politics are so hard to overcome. And I think like, God, there's nothing more annoying than like dirtbag leftists who say that the Democrats are like. Uh, weak or cowardly or bad at politics it's like no they're fucking amazing at it yeah and they play it with precision every fucking election like they have this huge base of out of work welfare class um primarily you know like like and then uh petty bourgeois knowledge workers and then like a, a large fraction of the ruling class. Yeah. So you're basically just like, okay, let's just keep these people on welfare forever. They'll vote for us forever because they want that welfare coming. And if there's no incentive for them, so then we're not going to give them any incentive to make more money. In fact, there's so much bullshit. Like, dude, it fucking costs. Like, like if you make 35 K a year, you'll get Medicaid. But if you make 50, all of a sudden your health insurance becomes like 1200 a month, yeah. which means you have less money in your fucking bank account than you did when you made 35. I feel like Absolutely. that's not by accident. That keeps the democratic party in power. You know, they, they need that. They need yeah. that collision of um classes. And that's like a whole ep- uh, separate discussion, but. Um, yeah. I mean, politics COVID is like was... a mix of like, Politics is primarily a mix of strategies and then like human error and then inability to admit human error and to just like dig in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I yeah. feel like that's kind of um, the def- the ruling paradigm of our day. Absolutely. It was this great COVID, this great red pilling moment for, uh, for so many of us. And it's a trite thing to say at this point, but um, yeah, I think if, you know, when we look back and in the preparation for the episode, 
one of my uh, notes was the uh, COVID's effect on uh, art, on media. How are we going to look back on, you know, what COVID did? And I think it's, it's going to be really mixed because like, it's like, you know, frankly, to speak candidly, uh, like Matt, you and I, we, we, our project was in some respects a COVID project. It no, grew out of, yeah, right, it grew yeah. out of having time and having, you know, this and that. And, you know, a lot of my political sentiments were born of this red billing that occurred during COVID. So I yeah. think it's going to be seen as this great inflection point where, you know, oh, a lot of people it's a fault woke line, up. Without question. Yeah. It's absolutely a fault line. Myself, you know, if COVID never happened, there's a good chance I'd still be uh, a curatorial assistant and tour guide manager of the fucking Museum of Sex. You know, oh, yeah. that was my day job. <laughs> yeah. So I did that, you know, 40 hours a week and then wrote a couple essays here and there, made some art. But I had basically come to terms with uh, a dead end job and yeah. a uh, wonky museum. Um, yeah. And I was like, whatever, you know, I'm making 60K a year. Whatever. I'll have an apartment. I'll be fine. I'll try and not kill myself. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's um, like that's the best you're gonna get. So okay, yeah. let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then COVID happened, and then the process started off slow, but then it became rapid because I got publicly fired by the quietest, and then that ricochet that I and then I got fired by every place that I worked with for my uh, ideological proclivities, um, and that was cool because that was like all right, fuck it. Now I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. Like, yeah. worst comes to worst, I'll just go back to the job at the Museum of Sex. I was fine before and I'll be fine again. But, because, you know, I had already vo I voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020, but I did so in 2016, it was purely like, like, I was definitely still in my radical phase, you know? Like, I just considered myself like the ultra commie or something, you know, and I just like fucking hated Hillary Clinton and the Democrats so much that I was like, uh, you know, it just felt there was something so fun about yeah, yeah. about marking Donald Trump on a presidential ticket. Yeah, um, yeah. But then by 2020, I legitimately started to see him as the yeah. better option. You know, not oh, even yeah. like the lesser of two evils, just like a, no, a flawed man yeah. versus evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it felt a lot better. And then, but then COVID, like all the things that we kind of already understood to be true, the incessant lies, the fucking intense propaganda campaigns, um, everything seeming to always benefit pharma or the MIC or whatever, all that shit just became a bit more obvious and it created its own kind of like subculture because if anyone else was seeing how obvious it was, there was like, yeah. okay, I can connect with this person. Meanwhile, exactly. so much of the world was just like willing to die on this hill. And I yeah. saw a great, uh, a great comedy bit the other day um i was shocked like a comedian actually saying uh true things in these days is like so funny but 
he was like, you know what I learned during COVID? That if I lived during World War II in Paris, that I for sure would have been a Nazi collaborator because <laughs> it appears that I do what I'm told. <laughs> that's wow. So what it. is this comedian? That's that's probably I'll the funniest thing I've ever heard so about. You guys can post it in the yeah. show notes, but yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's good. You know, stand up isn't my favorite art form, but uh, I don't know that that hits like the best kind of stand up joke, just like the right amount of shock. That's 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 excellent. Yeah, stand up's rough, dude. It's, it's just um, rough, but there's some, yeah, there's some yeah. It's just like I feel like it's one of those things where the be- people that are the best at it have been the best for like two or three decades now. You know, there's no one who's better than Louis C.K. or Chris Rock or whoever. Yeah. And it's also yeah. just like man it's a weird psychology to want to get up on stage and have people just like to just need people to laugh at you you know it's a very oh yeah no i I came into an appreciation of like how like i almost started to like stand up more it's still not my main thing but like my main kind of art that i you know take in obviously but i started i came into a new appreciation for it when i realized like how how much balls it how you know how, how much courage it takes to, to go out there and make people laugh. like you're, you're creating something out of nothing almost because you're just going out there as yourself. It's like, you know. Yeah, especially at first, dude. Like, because when you're like Louie or whatever, people going there to expecting know who you are. Yeah, but yeah the, cold, the cold open, which is how everyone starts in stand-up. Yeah, I did it once. I did one stand-up routine in Tucson, Arizona. All right. Um, no, yeah. And I wrote a whole little 10 minute uh, thing and I did it like on a dare, but I was also legitimately interested to see how it would go. And it was at this like biker bar on Fourth um, Avenue there in Tucson, which is like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tucson, but it's a very strange uh, sort of hippie hangover kind of city. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's the one Liptard city in all of Arizona. Um, so I was at this like sort of like it, you know Grateful Dead on the radio, uh, biker gang dudes hanging out, and I just got up there and did this dirty set, and I got some laughs or whatever. But I'm typically so confident, right? I've never been shy; like that's just never been a problem. But something about having to make a joke nail in front of fucking people, I was filled with terror and anxiety. Like I had no fun doing this at all. No, and, um, yeah, yeah. Like open, um, you know, people within our orbit actually here in LA. This is my 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 friend John Pellick does like a comedy open mic night in Hollywood every Thursday. I'll plug it for listeners who are in LA. There we go. Delicious pizza in Hollywood. You know, John John Pellick does it, and you know some other people in this general scene. But anyway, I I've been invited to to try it, but I, I don't think I can do it. And I'm not usually that like shy either. And I like trying new things artistically, but I just, I can't even, can't even imagine. Um, You're probably a bit too pretty for comedy, to be honest. I think oh, that was kind of my problem too. Well, thank you. you know, <laughs> well, it it's not like that. it's, yeah, it's, it's like if you, you're like a handsome man, people just don't think you should be funny for a living, you know, cause there's, they're, yeah. they just think you're being a dick at that point. Um, yeah 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 because yeah. Yeah, uh comedy is like this thing where it's like insecurity being overcome by wit and then that creates a certain confidence right, that's why louis ck is one of the funniest exactly people. you know he's always like god he's he is he is amazing yeah. i um 
I saw him. He actually directed a movie last year. Really? And yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't fantastic or anything. It wasn't as good as the Louis show was or like Horace yeah. and Pete was, but it was it was cute, you know. I liked his one that got canceled last minute. I yeah, love with Chloe Grace Moretz. It was good. That one was amazing. It's pretty good. Yeah, Woody Allen asked. Yeah, no, no, he's good. Yeah, I mean, the um, thing that I noticed about comedy and stand-up is it's just so hard because you know that people are expecting you to tell a joke. And it's just it's kind of like you, you – lose the element of surprise you lose the element of you know kind of like just dropping in and you know dropping the 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 joke and you're just like under this scrutiny while you're about to tell it or while you have to tell it and it's i mean i think increasingly it becomes a medium where you need to be someone who um subverts the medium to actually succeed in it so like Sam Hyde. Oh, he's reasons, amazing. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons he's so good is because he's just like totally subverting the medium. He's going up there and like, you know, telling things that makes liberals heads explode. And <laughs> that's like, that's hilarious. He's and a hometown boy for me, dude. Oh, is he from New York? I grew up on Cape Cod. He's from, oh, all right. he's from Fall oh, River, right. which is like three, 25 minutes away from where I grew up. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Did you um? Did you go to the show in uh, New York the other day? No, no. I um. What was it on Saturday? It was on Saturday. I would have went, but I just got a text about it like twenty minutes before the show. Yeah, people were telling me to go, but um, Saturday is my late father-in-law's birthday, so Mm. uh, my wife always gets like down on that day and. Yeah, it's not a try to stay day. towards a homestead. No, yeah, that's not the way to cheer her up for sure. Um, no. But I did go to a concert on Friday, which was pretty fun. Oh, nice. Whereabouts? It was in Greenpoint. Uh, do you know Dominic Fernow? He's the noise musician of the Prurient Project. It actually sounds familiar. The Prurient Project, and he does Vatican I, uh... Shadow, the techno okay. project. Anyways, he's uh he's one of my best buds. So oh, he like he did a showcase for his label, so I had to go to that. But there was some really good performances. He's doing a showcase next year in Osaka, Japan. Oh, uh, there we go. Going for twelve days. Uh, a little uh, yeah, a little samurai excursion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're landing in uh Tokyo, staying there for five days. And then doing Osaka and Kyoto, but um, I'm nice. psyched because I've always been obsessed with Japanese culture since I was like a teenager. Between Japanese noise, Japanese horror films, Japanese photography, writers yeah. like Mishima, Kobo Abe, or Ryu Murakami. Yeah. So I'm really uh, looking. Oh, ma- manga, you know. So I'm just like stoked to soak it up. It's been on the bucket list for a long fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. I've wanted to go to Japan for a while too. I never really had the, caught the Asian bug, Asian flu, but, uh, I, <laughs> I got I, that bug. Yeah. And I, manifests in multiple ways. <laughs> but, uh, Japan. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Hong Kong. 
I, but I don't particularly want to go to mainland China. Like I, I wouldn't say no, but um, yeah, but I got, yeah, I, I do don't have much interest Japan. in China. You know, my, uh, I, I, Japan for sure. I'd like to see Thailand. Yeah. Um, my dad actually lived two years in South Korea. He always talks about wanting to go back. He lost his virginity there, as he always tells me. Ah, yeah. uh, he was like 14. Um, uh, my wife's Burmese, so I'm sure we'll go to Burma at some point. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely such like a massive fucking country and so different. It's weird that it almost, it's weird that it even exists in some way. Oh, and I'd like to go to different version of asia of course but i'd like to see st petersburg russia oh yeah yeah i'd like to see russia too i've uh never been what was the last uh, trip you went on uh last trip was a wedding in seattle last week (laughs) oh you just got married (laughs) but uh no no i didn't my girlfriend's friends so uh yeah that uh, that was the last trip but uh the last like real like vacation trip we went to antigua in uh in may amazing and that was yeah that was great i had never been in the caribbean before and the the water uh it is it's as clear as they say you could like see yeah, your it feet. it's amazing i uh my family used to have a timeshare in saint martin nice uh, it got washed right. away in a hurricane and it wasn't insured so oh, that's sucks. gone but um I used to go, I went there every year from ages 14 to 18, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. I learned how to surf there. I learned how to parasail, um, nude beaches. The whole island yeah. is like very small, but also uh, expansive. Yeah, yeah. Psychically or something. Um, and it's funny, when we went there for the first time, I was super into. Oh, no, I was younger. It was like 12 to 16 is when I went there. So when I first went there, I had my little CD Walkman. Yeah. And the records I was obsessed with were Tools Enema, Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers, um, and uh, fuck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Miss Sugar, Destroy, Erase, Improve. I was like a little metalhead back then. And uh, when I hear Tool or Miss Sugar or whatever now... I instantly find myself transported back to St. Martin. Yeah. Yeah. No, when you hear those like music that you listen to in middle school, it really does take you back. It's crazy. Like I, you know, whenever I hear tonight, tonight, that's like the song that I kissed my high school girlfriend to. It's just like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Did Did you see the, did you see me on Billy Corgan's podcast? No, dude, no. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> he did my, I did his, and he did mine. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah, this is a. This is. I'm not trying to brag too much, uh, but whatever. It's hard to not tell this story without being a bragger yeah. because it's so fucking it. yeah. sick. Yeah. So, um, in. August of 2022, I know because I saved the email, I was given a uh, a fan mail, a fan email. It said, hello, Adam. I And it was funny because it was like written with kind of a resignation or something. Like he thought I'd be like too avant-garde or something. But it was like, I just read your book, Communions. 
It had a shit, man. I'll just fucking bring up the goddamn email. It's like right here. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Adam. Just a note to say that I read your book about art and artists and addiction. Um, most likely because I'm still, uh, whatever. And really enjoyed the themes in writing therein and found much inspiration from it for work I'm currently working on, which was the SP record from last year. Ah. There's a song on there that's like directly linked to communities. Wow. Um, for I am no fan of the dictum the artist must suffer to great make to make great art, but certainly I am interested in the depth that you allude to. How one goes to those places it will always be a furtive existential conundrum. As a side note, I feel like I came across your work on a recommendation from a mutual friend. So if we have a mutual friend, blah 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 blah. He still doesn't know how he found out about me. I first thought it was uh, Alex <laughs> Lee Moyer because she knows him too, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, that's uh, oh, so yeah, that uh, it was nuts because like Smashing Pumpkins was the second concert I ever went to as a kid. I went to the Melancholy yeah, yeah. Tour with my dad and my brother in 1996. Awesome. Yeah. So, like, dude, it was insane. My dad, you know, my dad is a late Gen X, you know, he's a fucking ultra kid, so I don't think anything, I don't think he's been this proud of me, like, because parents don't like he doesn't really understand what the fuck i do yeah but he understands getting fan mail from billy fucking corgan (laughs) dude we went to my dad's uh his uh uh 60th birthday party last year or 59th and he was walking around with the email printed Showing it to all his former frat brothers being like, my kid knows fucking Billy Corgan. And um, and then, yeah, Billy and I talked for a while. Uh, Wife and I went backstage at the SP show at Madison Square Garden last year and hung out. And then I did his podcast um, and then he did mine. And uh, we still bounce emails back and forth, but not as uh, frequently as we once did. But yeah, that was like one of the true legitimizing because, you know, you get a a lot of the people that I once um, admired or looked up to have become friends, you know, like the aforementioned Dominic Furnow, uh, even Zach Davis, who's like, you know, he used to be in a band I really like. Bradford Kessler, who directed our music video, he was an artist that I wrote about, and we became good friends. So that 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 happens when you, um, when you become an artist. But Billy fucking Corgan, yeah. get the fuck out of here! I did not yeah, ever no. ever see that coming, and it was like. You know, it's not like if it was Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind or something, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. But I probably wouldn't have even responded to the email. Like, yeah. Billy Corgan <laughs> is like a huge part of my childhood. You know, yeah, I know yeah. those fucking songs front to back and being acknowledged in my existence by, you know, because like when you're a kid and this is the 90s, you know, when rock and roll was everything. Yeah. This is, 
you know, you worship this person when you're a kid, you know, it goes beyond fandom. Like you yeah. worship this motherfucker. So, and now no, it's just like the guy yeah. that I bounce emails off of. Yeah. I feel like Corgan and the pumpkins were like one of the last bands to really be able to claim that level of, uh, fame and influence like the one of the last like great rock bands in Absolutely. That they're still kind of underappreciated by like hipsters um or whatever hipsters are called nowadays because i think because Badish. they were such, like radio plays <laughs> but like, if you listen to the albums it's it's um it's just beautiful beautiful work i mean especially from the 90s I, I admit i haven't listened to his more recent stuff but you know as i'm getting older like i can appreciate the craftsmanship so much more Oh, yeah. um, I say the same thing about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is more oh, controversial. Oh, God, dude. Don't even get me started, bro. You're a fan? <laughs> I've done like four fucking podcast episodes dedicated to Frusciante. Yeah, well, Frusciante in particular is, is what... But I like the Chai Peps, too, you know? I, I consider yeah, yeah. it like... Like, Frusciante is a, obviously a visionary artist, and the Chai Peps are his day job. <laughs> but no one does exactly. Wigger Bounce better than the Chai Peps. Yeah, they're some of the best yeah, yeah, wiggers yeah. of all time. Definitely, and you bring up the Frusciante thing—the the fact that he is a visionary who is in like a sort of cock rock band, you know, some kind of cock rock band. I mean, that, that in and of itself is interesting. Like we're so used to, like you know, people like the artistic visionaries being channeled to like do their own thing, which is great. But uh, the fact that he was always with a band with like a very different vision and contributing rather than being like the main guy. Uh, it is a source of fascination for me, for sure. And yeah, I just I think those '90s alternative rock bands, the level of crap, you know, they're they're thought of as almost like cliches now. But like, it's it's if you if you don't like really open up yourself up to the music, you miss so much because the craftsmanship and and the the artistry behind it is so uh, so good. Absolutely, man. I you know I went through my uh, pretentious phase. You know, there was like early 20s when if it didn't come out on silk breeze records or if it had melody uh if it wasn't mers bauer to live and shave in la or incapacitance or whatever the fuck then i'd be like nah fuck that shit but you 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 lose that uh with age once you realize that um creating a sound that is beautiful but also imminently relatable to the masses it's like the hardest fucking thing to do to make something that is great and popular mm. if you can like you know i am um, i have a lot of friends in noise music you know and i just always tell them and i'll be like guys look like what you do is cool you know you make the sound it's very loud but let's face it, you know, the genre does not got much more jukes left in it. No one's going to be better <laughs> than than Macronympha or whatever it was in the 90s. Um, and these shows, it, I saw the Chai Peps last year uh, at, yeah. the Philly, at the Philly Stadium. Sold out to a crowd yeah. of 54,000 fucking people. Mm. Yeah. Halfway through the show, um, John sings an acapella version of Elton John's uh, How Wonderful Life Is, that one. Yeah, Before yeah. he does that song on the last, uh, on the first of the reunion albums, when he sings the chorus, Heavy Winged, I think it's called. 
the entire fucking crowd, 54,000 people losing their minds when Frusciante took the microphone. That cannot be replicated. The, 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 The fucking electricity of a huge arena rock show is something that the Zoomers just sadly will never understand. They were robbed of that experience, you know? Absolutely. Rites of passage for me. Like, my dad took me to see REM. He took me to see the Pumpkins. When I got a little older, 10 or 12 or so, I forced him to take me to see Corn and Deftones. Um, Corn Live, dude. Oh, Oh, no. I've seen the footage. Sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. I still get Uh, chills thinking about it. No, I, I. Thought, it's not that good of a documentary, but I saw their performance in the Woodstock '99 documentary. Like the the itch to be there with that energy, you know, just watching that. Uh, they're another great band, and you know, another direction we could take the conversation with this is like uh, these these alternative rock acts, you know. And you know, you said fifty four thousand people in the Chili Peppers stands, like you know, is when they're a genuinely artistic spark, you know, which all the Chili Peppers have, but especially represented by Frusciante, like that was brought to a mass audience. Now we kind of live in this, like, everything is so fringe and niche that like, you know, the normie doesn't really get to appreciate art, but like a lot of these bands, and you could probably make a similar case about a lot of movies like Tarantino, for example, uh, are this tremendous like packaging of a very like legitimate artistic spark uh, in, in a very popular format that I think is really hard to come by, like post twenty fifteen. Yeah, well, there will ne- especially like, you know, I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, we still got the people who take the shows really seriously. I'm sure the girls who go to them have a great time at a Taylor Swift concert, or uh, yeah, oh no, she's good too in a different way. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and 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 yeah. and I've seen some Kanye shows that were crazy. I just I still don't think it's quite the same for some reason. I don't think no, it's quite yeah. the same. You know? Well, I think also Kanye and Taylor Swift. We're talking about people who gained popularity before this inflection point of that's true yeah they're more millennial than zoomer yeah yeah and i think the kind of the whole uh saw the the trope that culture is dead and well you know if that's true it's social media that killed it and you know I don't know that, you know, we're going to really ever have a pop culture again because yeah. we're all in our different silos. Well, something so. like Tarantino is like unimaginable that ever happening because he's still like the guy like when his movies comes out, everyone goes and sees it. Right. And everybody like yeah. looks forward yeah. to it. Uh, I just watched Pulp Fiction the other day for like whatever the thousandth time. Yeah. That movie <laughs> still shocks me how good it is, like that it yeah, even fucking exists, like. The small details in that film just sing so loudly, like the diner sequence, the the, the 50s set diner. Everything is so perfect in that scene. Like when they get up to dance and like up to that point, you kind of forget that this is Travolta, the greatest white boy dancer of all time. And then they do their sequence and he's like a million times better than the scene actually warrants him being amazing. You know, when he's when he shoots heroin, he's like, you mind if I shoot up here? Muchos gracias. And then like the, <laughs> and then like the surf music starts playing. Boyd Rice actually was the music advisor on Pulp Fiction. Oh, but wow. um, 
Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things he'll talk about in interviews sometimes because Tarantino wasn't um super. He he wanted that sound, but he didn't know like who made it, right? Yeah. So um, Boyd's like a he has like lots of weird obsessions. Some of them being Tropicana oh, yeah. and surf rock. Um, but yeah, so like you know, because I was looking at what what's coming out for films, and there's like a fuck ton of movies that I'm legitimately excited to see. Like I'm dying to see Fincher's new film with Michael Fassbender as a hitman. The trailer looks phenomenal. Mm. Although Fincher's trailers always look phenomenal, and sometimes the movies aren't great, so that could be a, a white herring. Uh, I'm even I'm looking forward to Harmony's new thing. I'm looking forward yeah. to. Uh, Bradley Cooper's. I'm even looking forward to Bradley Cooper doing Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Same. These things are all things like I, I'm looking forward to them, but they're not gonna fucking matter. You know, yeah. they're gonna come and go, and it's gonna be like I don't know. You, you, I don't think I know who won the Academy Award for like the last five years. Yeah, the last one I remember winning for sure is like, um. I remember the social network lost to that fucking uh, where um oh God Prince yeah, or where King George is like deaf and trying to oh, uh, like, like King speech. yeah 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 that's like the last thing I fucking remember that was like over a decade ago yeah yeah I tell you who won who I I don't remember who won this year which Me I should know but I yeah. I just remember that Tar lost and being like, and that Kate Blanchett lost, which I was furious about. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about, even though it's kind of annoying because people always ask me and I get pissed, is did you guys see the Barbie movie? I did, yeah. Did you like it? I I, I liked it, um, but I'm not like a full like bandwagon. Like this is really based and amazing. I just, like it's enjoyable. It was funny. Uh, the woke stuff didn't really bother me because that stuff is so much the air we breathe now anyway that uh, yeah. I didn't budge on it too much. It didn't. It didn't really bother me too much. And like it, it was done in a kind of funny way. Ryan Gosling was fun to watch. Uh, I, I'm glad that it, it was a cool cultural phenomenon. I appreciate the meme. That's basically what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I co-signed on that completely. It was just like a you know it was, it was like a fun kind of meme experience. You, you come into the movie with all this baggage of, like, knowing the memes, knowing the, you know, whatever. So, yeah, the fact that it was, you know, woke, it's like, well, as Matt says, everything is woke. So that exactly. didn't really, yeah, that didn't bother me. I mean, the thing that bothered me is, like, it's kind of like a middling story, you know, not not very good in many respects. But, like, you know, I'm I'm in it for the memes. I'm in it for yeah, the, the yeah. moments where she, like, where someone grabs her ass and she turns around and she does that face. And that's just like, that speaks to, I think the current cultural moment, which is like, we want to see our media interact with our memes. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I, I basically, I think it's being like dreadfully over intellectualized and um, oh, yeah. no doubt. Like I thought it was a passably entertaining popcorn flick. I thought Gosling was great and whatever i had a good time i laughed at some of the parts the the use of the matchbox 20 song i thought was a stroke of small genius yeah that was the funniest part (laughs) yeah and but one thing really pissed me off about it and i was talking about this with jack uh of the perfume nationals because he really liked it 
I think Greta Gerwig is a fucking piss poor director. He was telling me, yeah, but it's not made by her. Like he's like these women, yeah. like Olivia Wilde, they're not actually directing the movies. It's just like the cinematographers and the screenwriters. Like, like for Olivia Wilde, that's 100% true. It's like a well-known Hollywood thing. Like her last movie, she was just getting fucked by Harry Styles, the entire shooting. And the cinematographer <laughs> was actually directing the scenes. Um, but one thing about the response where there was all these like corny right wing clickbait articles about like Barbie is uh, trying to dismantle the matriarchy in subtle ways. I'm like, no, I think just like yeah. a centrist liberal people made this and they don't know. There's so much happening in the discourse right now that they can't really make sense of it. So the movie's yeah. kind of all over the place. Yeah, I agree. But the same people who are writing those fucking articles were the same people who when Tar came out and Tar is legitimately uh, a work of art that directly confronts libtardism. Yeah. Um, were the same people like, oh, no, uh, it's not actually a based film because Tar is the villain. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's only if you're watching it from the perspective of a limptard, because the whole point is that she gets destroyed for nothing. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to take away from that fucking movie. No one it why does it fucking matter that a female composer fucked around with one of her goddamn students? Like this yeah. is the least controversial thing ever, and yet we watch her destroyed in the movie. Because we also know that's exactly what would happen in real life. And I also think the way they made it a woman, even though the movie is clearly about a man, was another stroke of small genius. Yeah. So it just shows that a lot of the people who kind of claim themselves to be like, we're going, we're the counter hege hege hegemony. They're still just as fried from all this shit as anybody else is. That they're going to fucking write 800 essays about a Barbie movie before they'll actually consider <laughs> the best because, cinematic yeah. work of art. And same thing with Blonde, which was also a masterpiece. Both those movies yeah. came around at the same time and completely went over people's heads. Pissed me off. No one talked about Blonde. Like, nope. uh, it's, you know what it is? It's kind of what you were talking about earlier. You know, for better or worse, internet discourse is the new art. You know, memetics are the new art. You know, it's easy to write about Barbie because Barbie's a meme. You can project anything you want onto a meme. And that's what a lot of, like, quote, criticism is, is just projecting stuff onto, like, memetic phenomenon. You know what I mean? Rather than really engaging with art like Tar, mm. which actually requires more uh, thought and then, like, more brain power to actually read. And it's much easier just to, like, you know, re you know quote tweet, essentially, about Barbie. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, like, I'm always just trying to figure out ways to crack it all, you know? Like, like I've written a few books now, but you know very much that they're going to be read on such a small scale that I really am always... Because I, I think most people um, probably don't even know. Most A lot of my fans probably haven't even read my books. They just, they're yeah, more no, into you... the public character, right? Mm -hmm. Right. For, for so, so many people even will buy books, but not read them. And like, we still appreciate the support, but you know, it takes, it does take a lot to like actually get someone to read your book for better or worse. Uh, for but sure. you're, 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 yeah. you bring up with like the public character thing. I mean, uh, 
not to get too self-referential here, but I've, you know, we talked before we were recording, like I'm helping with this uh, filthy Armenian event this week. And I've done a couple of my own events recently. Like I think uh, doing in-person stuff, it would be would be part of my like the closest thing I could say to like a way to sort of break out of like the discourse bowl is uh bringing in IRL. There seems to be a real hunger for that, and the way people end up kind of connecting and like kicking around ideas feels uh feels like it yeah. breaks the matrix. I don't know if you found obviously Adam, you you know you were at NPC Fest. You've been involved with a lot of like the birth of the IRL dimension of this. I don't know if you have have thoughts on that. Yeah, well, for sure, like, from my perspective, the thing I'm doing, like, in the immediate, well, I, I'm I'm putting on an event for safety propaganda on October 25 in New York, uh, so people should come to that. There will be... Looking forward to that. Yes, there will be five people reading, myself included, Dan included, and... Thank you for the um, invitation. Absolutely, and... At the end of that will be the first and perhaps not sure yet only live botch chatification performance. So if you want to see me uh, shredded to the bone, oiled the fuck up, wearing a loincloth while screaming my head off, that would be the place to do it. But I also <laughs> plan on doing um, I'm I'm doing a lot more theater stuff. Uh, oh, so- nice. Yeah, so I want I've always wanted to get involved with film and my friend Bradford is um trying to transition from the art world to film. But getting finance from a movie is just yeah. it's a fucking like why the fuck would I do it, you know? Why yeah. would I suck? Maybe someday, you know, when I have sure thing financial sources, but to work 3 years on something that might not even happen and would Absolutely. leave me broke um seems like a fool's errand. So what I'm doing yeah, right know. now is uh, at the event that Matthew just mentioned, I will be uh, staging a short play that I wrote. Nice. It, it is simply, All right. Looking yes, forward to it, yeah. Yeah, it is uh, just a chapter from a novel that I've been sitting on that should be out early next year on amphetamine sulfate. The editing process speeds up a bit, but I adapted a chapter from that book and it's gonna be like a 12 minute sequence and this is something i'm going to be doing more going forward i i mean basically i could just it's once i learned that it's like so simple to turn something into a play and i was like jesus i have like thousands of pages of material already so yeah. I'm, uh, there's a new venue here in New York that I'm going to be doing some stuff at. It's going to be fun to flex my megalomania and like scream at actresses and make them feel bad about themselves. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, Looking I'm going to seeing that stuff, man. Yeah. Um... You know, the performance, I relish performance. I, a lot of people really struggle with it, but I, I don't know. I fucking love it. I love no. uh, character oh, building. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the great thing about theater is, and there have been many articles written about this in terms of uh, the potential of theater and the dissident right and dissident media, what have you. But um, as compared to film, it's much, much cheaper. It's practically free. I mean, like if you can like, yes, if you're using equity actors, if you have like the big set design, OK, that does cost money. But if you just have a space and you have people who are going to act and get together, it's almost free. 
And it, what it crucially does is it brings people together. And that's like, yeah. well, what, what could be a more IRL event than a play? You know, it's, I think what happened is in the early to mid 20th century, it was just the avant-garde was the avant-garde. So, you know, writers, uh, playwrights, painters, designers, they all hung out in Paris, whatever. They all considered themselves amongst friends, you know, but somewhere along uh, the rise of Broadway, theater kind of became its own thing. Like it had less and less overlap with the other disciplines. But I think now because everything is dead, like, like let's like the most important, like biggest money-making artists in the world. Nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah. Largely because they're bad, but mostly because it's just too many like paintings. We've seen every painting. No one needs to make one. And no offense to my friends who are painters. Um, I, I'm i surrounded by paintings right now. I don't know why I'm talking so much shit. But I think because the culture is so disintegrated anyways, that now, as long as you're just like, you can just find your zone, your own little fracture, as Kazemi would say, and uh, and build and give it whatever the fuck you want to give it. And what got me so stoked on... um uh writing or turning some of the fictions that i write into plays is actually this one fucking playwright are you familiar with a writer named oh actually um kevin did a show on her but her name was sarah kane i'm only familiar with her through kevin but yes likewise yeah so um yeah way like shortly before the pandemic this British uh, writer and critic that I somewhat admire named Charlie Fox wrote a thing about her and I picked up her book and was just like absolutely blown away. She does basically a hybrid of Jacobian tragedy with something more expressionistic and contemporary and it's brutal shit like you know, live rapes happening right on stage, war crimes committed. Mm. And it's great to just read the books. But I mean, I've watched some of the plays on YouTube and they're just spectacular. Like this needs to be popular again. Like, yeah, it doesn't take much. Just get some people who can deliver a line and look good on stage and uh, tell a story and people are looking to get out you know how many fucking readings can we all go to you know we need to incorporate other sorts of expressions into these central hubs and that's what i that's what i fucking plan on doing there we go i think yeah inspiring yeah yeah no i mean it's like there's a real renaissance in playwriting and plays in new york city and elsewhere and it's you know there's never or not never but like there's a real bifurcation between like the type of stuff that is produced commercially and the type of stuff that people are writing in the counterculture and um yeah it's just like you know really energizing for people who are actually writing stuff that's real absolutely you guys uh you guys, uh, you want to ask a couple more questions? Or you want to cut the cord? 
I think at this point, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to plug, and I don't mean to talk over Matt here, but it is uh, where we are. It's uh, it's twelve o'clock. So yeah, I'm uh, doing the uh, I'm doing the uh, ants in the pants thing right now because yeah, I've been about, clamping it. I've been clamping it. <laughs> it's about um, time to uh, yeah, mosey on. I think. And yeah, all, uh, this was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I'll just plug the usuals. Uh, yeah. Safety Propaganda's primary landing page is safetypropaganda.substack.com. Our podcast, System of Systems by Safety Propaganda, is just systemofsystems.patreon.com. Uh, my books are available on Amazon and all those fucking places. And um, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm on Twitter. There we go. <laughs> Adam Lear, check all of this stuff out. Yes. And- it's been a pleasure, dude. All right, guys. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Um, uh, I will see Matthew. I'll see you this weekend. Yeah, I'll see you this weekend. It'll be great to meet in person. And Dan, I'll see you next month, or are you coming this weekend too? Unfortunately, not this weekend, but you'll definitely see me next month. And we're going to talk soon because I'm going to be on, coming on uh, my podcast. There we go. All right, man. Indeed. I'm almost done with your book. I've been enjoying it. Oh, thank you, dude. Yeah, looking forward to talking it, uh, talking about it, and thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. All right, talk soon. Talk soon. Bye.